Savabona, and thanks for listening. Savabona, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Wines of South Africa podcast. I'm U.S. Country Manager Jim Clark. In each episode, we explore some aspect of South African wine. We'll be talking with winemakers, winery owners, and other members of South Africa's vibrant wine industry. In this episode, we'll be looking at one of the most enjoyable parts of the industry, but also one that has deep historical significance and a vital role in helping the industry thrive today. Wine tourism is popular anywhere that wine grapes are grown, and South Africa's wine tourism offerings are among the best and most diverse in the world. We'll look at it both from the guest's point of view and from inside the industry. And when you're done, you'll not only find yourself looking up ticket prices to book your own journey to South Africa's winelands, you'll also understand how much of an impact visitors have in supporting the economy, helping wineries succeed, and creating jobs in the Western Cape. Let's start by hearing from someone who's been on the front lines of South African wine tourism for years. My name is John Hartley. I'm a freelance cultural tourist guide. I also have a nature guiding qualification, which comes in very handy in the wine industry. The trend these days is to keep everything a little bit more nature friendly, more organic, more sustainable. I've been guiding since 2006. And obviously during COVID, we didn't do a lot of guiding and as tourism has started up again, it's really nice to be back in the winelands doing what we love doing. We are very fortunate in South Africa when it comes to wine tourism that our wineries are very accessible. Well, I'll put this out there. I've not been to Napa. If we had to compare area for area, I suppose Stellenbosch would come across as being South Africa's Napa. There are a number of small wineries in Stellenbosch, but they're pretty accessible. You don't have to be members of their clubs. You don't have to be signed up patrons to actually go and visit many of these farms. So that's what's really nice about the South African wine industry. You can go and visit very well-known estates with very good winemakers. And first-time visitors, you try to give them a all-around view of what the Cape can do. Try to visit wineries that do a broad selection of whites and reds. We can give a, a very good broad brushstroke, you could say, of the lighter varieties, crisp, more green, fresh Sauvignon Blancs, Chenin Blancs that are fruity, up to Chardonnays. I think Stellenbosch is producing some really good Chardonnays. And then there are, of course, people who want to explore other varieties. In Stellenbosch, we've got some Grenache Blanc now, people playing around with Viognier, Roussan, Marsan, and we can do that all in one day. We don't have to drive hundreds of kilometers in order to show people a broad spectrum of what South Africa can do. Even around Stellenbosch, which is primarily known for Cabernet, we've got great Syrah producers. We've got people producing very good Cabernet Franc, even people dabbling in a little bit of Petit Verdot as a varietal wine. And that's what's really nice about South African wine. If you have a Chardonnay lover, you can show them Chardonnay. If you have a Sauvignon Blanc lover, you can show them Sauvignon Blanc within a few minutes drive of each other. And it caters for everyone. A typical day would be 45 minute drive out of the city. This is how fortunate we are. The city is very close to the Stellenbosch wine as, as an example. Starting off with very well-known wineries like Hartenberg, for instance, Waterford, Vergelegen, being able to taste their top wines. If you go to many of these wineries, again, we're going to use Vergelegen as an example. You can taste their V, if you wish, their flagship red. So for tourists, it's actually very nice that these wineries are so accessible. Within Stellenbosch, there are 160 producers. And so it's easy to cherry pick three very good producers Along the lines of what people like to drink, if you like Chardonnay, you can really visit three very good Chardonnay producers in very short succession. Another thing that U.S. guests note is that the wineries are particularly generous with their time 
and with their pourings, which is always something nice for a wine aficionado that you don't just get a 25 milliliter tasting pouring, that you can actually get enough wine to savor it and enjoy it. You don't have to be someone who knows someone to get a very good experience in the Stellenbosch or the Cape winings in general. Many of the wineries have immaculate gardens. There is opportunity to explore their other products. Many of them have diversified into cheese, meat. Some of them do restaurants, lunches, picnics. You get activities. People have spas. Somewhere like Spear has Segway tours. Something different for people to do. People have tried to diversify and keep it interesting. So there is that diversity within the wine industry. Be it something small, like just the opportunity to visit and be guided through a vineyard by the winemaker. It's great to be shown around. I can think of one winery where the tastings are only done by winemakers. And Turin is known for that. And people enjoy that experience. So that's an add-on to just normal wine tourism. I think people think of it as being part of wine tourism. But it is an added activity, tasting with a winemaker or having a vineyard tour with a winemaker or, or viticulturist. You're probably already looking up flights. Let's pull back and get a bit more of an industry-wide perspective and take a look at some of the reasons that South Africa is a great trip right now in particular. I'm Marissa. I'm the Wine Tourism Manager at Vinpro, and I work very closely with the 23 wine routes in South Africa. Vinpro does a great deal of advocacy and lobbying on behalf of the South African wine industry, and we also look after wine business in terms of agricultural economics and wine tourism, which is where my function sits. Wine tourism is a relatively new addition to the Vinpro basket of activities. And in 2015, the wine industry embarked on a wine industry strategic exercise. And at this time, they took stock of all of the levers that would grow the industry. And under market access, wine tourism really stood out as an area that offered a lot of potential for making the industry more financially sustainable, more robust and more profitable. One of the projects that we undertook was to establish the website Visit Winelands. And that gives a central platform for people interested in a wine tourism holiday to South Africa to find information about all of our wine routes and to find inspiration about what they can do on our wine routes from the large and the well-known to the smaller and the lesser discovered wine routes. When we look at our data, what we see is that typically – in 2019, for instance, about two-thirds of our market is South African and a third is international, which is still a substantial amount of people and a substantial spend when you look at the total contribution of 7.2 billion rand. So we've been very grateful the past two years for the support of our locals and our domestic tourists because South Africa, like almost every other country, saw a vast decrease in our international visitors. But we're very excited and happy to say that we see our international visitors coming back. The USA is actually the strongest recovering international market for South Africa and for the Western Cape at the moment. So we're very grateful to all of our American visitors for returning so swiftly to our country. I think the ease of access for Americans to the Cape is absolutely critical. We can see that in the flight statistics. I'm a researcher in my previous life, so I've spent a decade looking at the arrival figures to Cape Town International. 
And it's absolutely so positive that they've expanded that flight schedule by United. I've flown to the US 21 hours on a plane before there were any direct flights. And it's quite something, those long flights. So I'm very happy to see an increase in those direct flights to Cape Town. Affordable luxury is really a term that as an American visitor, you will have access to in South Africa. And, and I think it's the opportunity to really tick those bucket list experiences off of your list. It's taking a hot air balloon over the winelands because it's affordable. It's having a fantastic spa experience at a top hotel because it's affordable and the value is exceptional. And generally speaking, our food and wine offering is very affordable. You'll get an amazing wine paired tasting menu in the Western Cape or at any of our wineries really across the country for a very favorable amount. So that often really surprises and delights visitors the type of experiences that they can have here because of that exchange rate. It would be impossible to cover all of South Africa's wine tourism offerings in the time we have. So let's zoom in on Stellenbosch for a little bit. Generally considered the center of South Africa's wine industry, Stellenbosch played a big role in developing the idea of wine tourism there. After that, we'll get an example of what one individual winery has done to create a great tourism experience for their guests. My name is Elmarie Rabi. I am the general manager for the Stellenbosch Wine Roots. And the Stellenbosch Wine Roots is the premium wine region in South Africa, celebrating its 50th year in, uh, in 2021. And we are the biggest wine region and also the oldest organized wine tourism offering in South Africa. In the 1900s, in South Africa, it was prohibited to distribute wine from your own cellar. People were not allowed to make wine under label or distribute it. Everything had to be channeled through a regulatory body called the KWV. And they basically looked at everything from distribution, exports, bottling, labeling. There were cooperatives and one or two big, what we call today, corporates, Stellenbosch Farmers Winery and Distillers. Vintners. I think in those days it was another company called Gilby's. So they essentially controlled the whole of the wine industry. So in the late 1960s, Franz Malan from Simon Sich Wine Farm, as well as Neil Joubert from Speer, traveled to France and they then saw this initiative that was called the Rue de Vin, which is the wine route or a route along which wine tourism, wine tastings could take place. So when they came back to South Africa, they spoke to their friend, Spud Sperling from Dalheim, and then started challenging government number one to allow private estates to start bottling and selling wine from the cellar door and allow people or visitors to the Cape or to Stellenbosch to visit a farm and buy wine directly from the estate after they've tasted the wine. So they had to challenge government to change le legislation. And eventually when they got that, that is the start of wine tourism as we know it in South Africa. So they challenged government. They managed to open up the system and change regulation and law in order for people to bottle and sell their own wine. And it was quite difficult in those days. I heard stories where Franz Malan had to get in his car with a boot loaded up with wine and go knocking from door to door to try and sell his wine because all the distribution networks were then 
gone immediately. And there was a lot of other issues we faced, like uh, road signage. People didn't know where the farms were. They didn't know how to get to the cellar doors. You could only sell cases of 12, which was challenging. So there was a lot of things that they sorted out and, and paved the way for us all to do what we are doing today. And that is offering experiences, selling wine and introducing our beautiful area as a destination to tourists and visitors. At the end of apartheid, South Africa got access to the international market. We could sell and export our wines there in a much bigger way. We got visitors and tourists came here in a much bigger way. And it also allowed for investment in a much bigger way. So after apartheid, you found in Stellenbosch a lot of small sellers popping up. Initially, I think in the 80s, 90s, you saw a lot of producers only offering wine tastings. A few of them had restaurants and other offerings. But then as soon as we got exposure to the global audience, you saw people developing a lot faster because all of a sudden now you have to attract people in a different way. We can't just do everything the same as our neighbors. So there was a lot of development that took place from the 90s into the 2000s. With regards to the Stellenbosch wine roots itself, the organization actually went through a transformation where the likes of Johan Krieger from Kanonko, Bayer Kobus Basson from Kleine Zalze and Jan Bulan Kutsia from Frisenhof actually met with everybody in the region because the area was threatened to be torn into different sectors. So today for the Stellenbosch wine routes, we have got five sub-routes. So in those days, it was a threat that would all morph into little wine routes. And those gentlemen then started lobbying. They got everybody together. Everybody got on the same page. And the wine route in 2002 then butterflied into the organization that it is today, which is bigger. We got corporate funding. We could grow faster. There was a dedicated office servicing the wine route. So all of that was also new from a wine route perspective, that there was now a dedicated office with admin personnel, corporate sponsors, so we could be quite aggressive and proactive on events and marketing and other activities. Stellenbosch has been on an accelerated development in the last few years. We have been enjoying a lot of foreign investment, and they say a rising tide lifts all ships. So although smaller family businesses are very important, and I'm quite sentimental about them, it is very important that we get investors into our area and you can see examples of this, for example, at Delegraph, where they have built a state-of-the-art cellar. They've got two fantastic restaurants, an upmarket hotel, and dedication to art. They've got some amazing sculptures in the gardens. Other examples of this type of thing is Spear, that has, through the ages, done a lot for tourism. You just have restaurants, you've got accommodation. There's amazing activities like segueing through the vineyards. They've got a lot of sustainable practices. They've got an excellent water management system where all the water is in a closed loop, looked after, purified, and then reused again. They are recycling almost all of their waste. So very little goes into the municipal rubbish dump areas. So they're very conscious about the environment and about bringing the message back to wine, but also using at the same time tourism, art, restaurants and accommodation to drive that message where it's a one-stop shop where people can come in and stay and then enjoy all different activities. And then the other thing in Stellenbosch is that we are very fortunate that 
farms are quite concentrated. So you can stay at one place, but easily in a day, go visit three or four other places as you explore and discover the region. My name is Charles Kutsia. I'm the Sada Master at Babylon's Touren. We are a very popular tourist destination in South Africa, in the Cape Winelands. We've been making wine since 2011. So this year, we've done our 11th harvest since we started. We have received numerous awards. One that stands out is a few years ago, the Condé Nast Traveler magazine has rated us as one of the top 20 destinations in the world. Every year we get good ratings from the Condé Nast and our restaurants were in the top 10 restaurants in South Africa in the past. So yes, we have received numerous tourism awards in the past. Bobulus Turin is situated on the slopes of the Simonsburg mountain. And if you drive from afar and you look at the slopes of the mountain, there's this little conical hill on our property. Now, back in the day, the farm was granted to its first owner in 1692, which is only 40 years after 1652 when the Dutch people harbored here to create this halfway station. The farm was granted to a guy called Peter van der Beyl. And in those days, the people were very religious. So when he received this piece of land, he looked at this little hill that stands out on the property and it made him think about the story in the Bible where the people have tried to build the tower that reached heaven. And then God created the dispersion of languages in order to stop them. So this happened in Babel or Babylon. So it made him think about that story. And so he named the farm Babylon's Turin, which means... Babylon's Tower or the Tower of Babel. Well, Babylon's Turin today consists of a five-star farm hotel and we've got a garden spa. We've got two restaurants. The one is our main restaurant, which is called Babel. And then we've got all deli-style restaurant in our greenhouse, which is on top of our garden. We've got a four and a half hectare or almost eight acre fruit and vegetable garden which is a formally planned and laid out structure. It's a public garden so people can come on daily guided garden tours. They can come and walk around in the garden and there's more than 300 different varieties of fruit and vegetables planted in the garden. Everything is edible. Then we've also got a winery where we make our own wine. We've got an olive press in which we make our own olive oil and cured olive products. We've got a water and a juice plant where we bottle water that comes from a spring in the mountain. And also we bottle juices from the fruit that we get from the garden, the fruit and the vegetables. We've got a, a farm shop in which we sell all our products. We've got a scented room where we sell some scented products from essential oils that we distill from some of the uh, lavender and other crops that we plant on the farm. It's a very diverse property, lots of things to do. You can come and walk in the garden, you can come on a garden tour, you can come on a salad tour, you can come on a olive tour, you can visit our bakery, we've got a cheese room, so it's a very big tourist destination where we want to show tourists on a daily basis what we do while we are working here. Tourism wise, in terms of wine, we've got a tasting room in the form of a glass house which is situated in between our production cellar and our barrel cellar. 
it looks like a hanging structure. So when you are sitting in the tasting room in between the production cellar and the barrel cellar, it almost feels like you are hanging in between the vines. In our tasting room, there's actually three different tasting options. The one option is to taste only the Babylon's touring range of wines, the seven Babylon's touring, the normal range. Or you can do the whole portfolio, which includes the three flagships, or you can just do the three flagships. We've got tasting platters in our tasting room, which you can enjoy while you are doing the wine tasting. I think there's two things that stand out in our experience. The one is our salad tour, which happens three times a day at 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And the salad tour consists of a brief history, like an overview of the farm, and then it takes you through the production cellar. And then in 2020, we've built a tunnel underneath the ground that actually connects our production cellar with the barrel cellar. So the cellar tour ends in this subterranean tunnel where you can then do a tasting of all 10 wines along with small, what we call accompaniments. And this is to show people how food and wine can complement each other. It's a very popular uh, salad tour to come on. And then recently, we've opened up a wine museum, which we call the Story of Wine, which is an unbelievable experience. It's not your typical museum where you walk in and you just look at old artifacts. It's a very immersive experience. To give you an idea, when you walk into the museum, you walk into a root system of a vine and it's this whole very active, immersive experience where you have lots of VR experiences and very popular at the moment. Uh, it's also something that you can come and enjoy. And then also because our olive oil forms part of the cellar business, three times a day we do an olive oil and a balsamic vinegar tour because we also make our own balsamic vinegar where you can go and you can visit a room where we make our balsamic vinegar and then we take you through the olive plant and at the end you are able to make your own little olive oil blend. Lots of things to come and do. And the Babylon Sterling wine range consists of 10 wines, 4 whites, 4 reds, one rosé and one sparkling wine. We've got a normal Babylon Sturing range which consists of a white blend which we call the Candide white blend which is a blend of all the white varieties we have on the property which is Chenin Blanc, Chardonnay, Semillon and Viognier. Then we've got a straight Chenin, we've got a straight Viognier and then we've got in our flagship white range we've got a wooded Chardonnay. Then we have a rosé that's made from a vedre, which is one of our most popular wines and also the wine that we produce the most. And then on the red side, we've got a blend called our Barble Red Blend, which is like the Candide White. It's a blend of all the red varieties we have on the property, which is all the five Bordeaux, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Malbec, Petit Verdot, Merlot, and then also Shiraz, Pinotage, Mavedre, and a little bit of Pinot Noir. Every year that blend differs depending on production so some of the years there will be less cab or no cab but the idea is to blend everything together then we've got a straight cab a Cabernet Sauvignon a straight Shiraz and then on the flagship side we've got a red blend which is called the Nebuchadnezzar which is a blend of all the five border varieties and then we've got one sparkling wine which is a Blanc de Blanc and we call it the Sprunkel which means sparkle 
what we do is we facilitate tasting room orders in our tasting room. So if somebody from another country is in our tasting room, they want to buy wine, we actually fulfill the order here. We let them pay everything and then we just dispatch it from our warehouse in the US or in the UK to wherever they live. And if I compare the latest tasting room sales, it's a fairly even split between the United States and the UK. Lately, now that the borders and stuff are open, I would definitely say that if you walk through the tasting room or if you walk on the grounds and you hear people speak, there's definitely a lot more foreigners again than local people. And that's good to know that the international people are coming back. A great deal of people from the US, the UK, and all over Europe. The hard work of bringing South Africa's black population into positions of ownership in the wine industry continues. For a long time, many black-owned brands have lacked a home or estate where they could accept visitors and take part in wine tourism directly. That changed for a number of them during the pandemic, when the Wine Industry Transformation Unit launched the Wine Arc. My name is Wendy Peterson, and I'm the Executive Manager of the South African Wine Industry Transformation Unit. We're based in the Western Cape. So the East Wine Industry Transformation Unit is a unit that has been established in October 2016 with a specific view of supporting activities around black ownership, black owned brands, black owned farms, uh, looking at the needs of black professionals in the industry, and also how do we support farm worker and farm worker communities in the South African wine industry landscape. When we had the idea and we planned around where the location would be, there were various locations in central Cape Town, and we wanted to create like an urban winery. But you know what? I always say that if you want to be a serious role player in the wine industry in South Africa, especially black brands, you have to position yourself where the wine industry is. The jewel of the wine industry in the Cape Winelands currently is Stellenbosch and Fraser. So we said that we wanted to be keen Stellenbosch to be able to also get the tourists that come through to Stellenbosch and be part of that Stellenbosch wine roots per se. And but provide an, uh, a different experience, like a cultural diverse experience. So we on the corner of Halswerter and uh, the R44. It's basically on the top of the hill. And so from the deck area, the front doors, you would be able to see on the left hand side the Halswerter beautiful um, wine farms. And on the right-hand side, you're overlooking Kayamandi, the township rural area in the Western Cape. And in front, you will find, in our terms, the coloured community in South Africa, which is basically the Cape Flats. And on that, you are able to have the view of the authentic South Africa. Not a South Africa that we say that we are dressing to suit a perfect South Africa. It is a real South Africa that we're looking at. It's authentic. It's our different cultures, diversities. And I've always had the belief that we as South Africa, where our value uh, proposition lies, is to be authentic to ourselves. Of who we are, we know that there's still a lot of things we need to work on, but we have come a long way in the last 25 years of democracy, and we need to embrace that. The Wine Art was established in November of 2021, so the discussions about the Wynock has been a lengthy one of about three years at board level. We looked at the challenges that some of the black-owned brands, specifically in the South African wine industry, had. 
with regards to the access to market, having a big footprint when it comes to tourism and hospitality, how a place where they could engage with buyers, importers, retailers in a professional environment, and also a place where they could feed from the distribution and logistics challenges that they encounter with retail. We looked at the cost involved and we said that if we were to cater or serve the needs of each black and brand, there's about 67 currently on the database. The amount of funding that we've got is not enough to support all of them in their specific needs. We came up with this bright idea of how to incorporate various different brands hosted at one facility that could act as a unified institution and collaboration, but also could utilize the services at a reduced cost. So the YMR contributes to four key pillars or tiers of service delivery. The one is that it is a tasting facility where you could come and taste black on brands in the South African wine industry. Secondly, is that the Wine Arc supports an e-commerce platform. So if you come and taste the wines and you want to order the wines, you can order it via the e-commerce channel. The e-commerce channel is set up for business to consumer and also business to business and business to distribution. And you could actually engage with the wine or to become a vendor of your organization or institution. Well, a third part was that we wanted to establish a platform where the products from the brands could be easily distributed in a logistics supply chain. And we went into heavy negotiations with this logistics company, and we can accommodate that services at the reduced rate now for the black on brands and also at a very fast rate in getting it to the consumer or to business to business clients. Then the last aspect, which is a key aspect, is the route to market a plan aligned with the wine arc, which means that for the brands that's currently hosted there, we will be engaging with retailers, distributors and buyers to coordinate and liaise this process of, of having the brands on shelf, but addressing the logistics nightmare of getting the product actually into the distribution chain and into the retailers. So we take the burden of administration away from the brands so that they can concentrate in building the brand. And we secure that with the retailers to ensure that your stock will be delivered in full it will be delivered on time. We will adhere to the trade agreements specified in that agreement with the retailer to ensure that we best service the black on brands and cater to the needs of supporting the market activity. We had the project split into three phases. So the first phase was to cater for the need of getting to the consumer, getting to market, having market access. Then the second phase of this project is to secure a primary production facility. And at the wine are currently there is a production facility available where we can do primary production. So there's a seller space, so we can do specialized batches of wines for them. And then the brand owners can be directly involved in that process. And aligned to that is that we're on a beautiful farm up in Stellenbosch with the farm is 250 hectares big. And there's about 50 hectares that's implanted. So there's a lot of open land space where if we move further down the primary side of the value chain, that we can start planting specific vineyards and rootstocks for the brands so that they also can become creative when it comes to their product range and so forth. So the project plan is the first few phases will stretch onto 2026, where we will every year 
move into the next phase. And until the brands become very strong and sustainable and developed, and the idea is that this is an incubator. So we want brands to be strong so that they one day can own their own facility, their own tasting room, their own hectreach uh, of vineyards, their own primary production facility. So the idea is an incubator in order for them to process where they can actually own their own manufacturing assets. The initial process was up to 20 black owned brands. And how we came to the figure of 20 was that we looked at in the last five years, the transformation unit has invested millions of brands into certain companies. And the companies that's been in the industry really for, I think the average is about 15 years. So we said, how do we take them to the next level? So the application process was open. And then the brand, so that um, was screened uh, according to a 360 assessment process. So we looked at the technical capability. Is the wines of that quality? Are the packaging attractive? Is the story really worth selling? Or is there a concrete story behind it? Does the cultivar fit into the needs of innovation and creativity? We looked at marketing. Is the product or the brand owner really marketable? Is the story unique? What is the value proposition? What is the price point? Where are they positioned? And in which channels are they currently playing in? We also looked at the challenges. And then we also looked at the commercial side with regard to the companies. Are they trade ready? Are they export ready? Do they have the legal matters in order? Is everything on corporate governance level in place? So we took those three criteria and we said, okay, let's screen the companies. So from those screening processes, it came out that 13 companies were there where we could move them forward. So the 13 companies is currently the first phase of the wine arc. But as I said previously, it is an incubator. So those 13 companies will be given a time period in order to grow. If a company, for example, does not grow, we will work with the company in a mentorship and coaching capacity and also looking at their strategy. But we will also allow for new entrants in that space of the wine arc. So the exciting bit about the model is that on a continuous basis, you will have new brands coming into the system, bringing a little bit of excitement to the consumer and to the market because you never know who's going to be the next big Aslina, who's going to be the next big Carmen Stevens, who's going to be the next big Payeri. And the old brands or the older brand that has gone through the system will act literally as mentors and leaders inside that knowledge chain. So it's also looking at succession and it's looking at how do we feed and nurture new brands or youth coming into the industry because the learnings from the older brands is really unique when it comes to black owned brands, the challenges that they face and how do we carry those learnings over to the new generation. This initiative is a very good example of what collaborative partnerships can do. The industry and everybody, really the, the government institutions, this limited funding available. I don't think the, the future of grant funding will be there. So basically blended finance. And even the, the institutions that's got funding will go about very wisely in using their funding. Obviously, it's an investment, so you need to leverage your investment. So what this partnership with the various institutions and industry organizations does for us, it's that it creates greater economies of scale. It also allows us to increase the revenue and profitability of the wine arc, but more specifically the brands, because if we can reduce their cost to market, 
we indirectly increase their profitability. So that is a key important area that I would just like to focus on. It also increases and it allows the industry, especially our commodity, to have a bigger negotiating power. I think the strengthening of partnerships throughout the wine value chain when it comes to black-owned brands, black-owned farms, black professionals in the industry, but more importantly also service providers in the industry where we need to look at preferential procurement and also incorporate them into the greater value chain. That is the only way that we will see the entire wine industry value chain transforming and allowing people of color to gain economic benefit in the wine value chain that was previously not included. Now that you've had an inside baseball look at wine tourism, let's dive back into the fun stuff and look at what it's like to visit at different times of the year and what it's like to visit multiple times and explore further afield. One of the things that I love most about visiting the Cape Winelands or the Western Cape for that matter is the very distinct four seasons that we have throughout the course of the year. And each of those seasons shows you a different face of our wine tourism landscape, and it has its own benefits for visiting. High summer is between, I would say, typically October to even March in some areas of the year. Of course, the weather is nice and warm. It's generally upwards of 28, 30 degrees Celsius. So if you like it a little bit cooler and you don't necessarily want to combine your wine tasting with beach days, you can head out between April and June. That's our typical autumn. We've got some lovely mild days, still 20 degrees, which is great for dining outside, having some platters with your wine outside on the porches of our wineries. And then we head into July, August, September. That's probably the coldest part of our winter. We do get a lot of Americans come out to see us in July because it's such a popular time of year to see wildlife up in the Kruger because it's a little bit drier up there. So you see the animals, the visibility is much better because the Kruger gets rain in summer. So it's very dry there in winter. So July is a very popular time because I think it's also your major school holidays. And also there's a lot of other exciting things that happen. If you're heading out to the Overberg, our whale watching season starts. That stretches into the latter part of the year. You can combine your wine tasting with our wildlife, with whale watching, with a wide range of outdoor activities that suited to every time of the year, really. It just depends on your preferences, what type of holiday you're planning. Every single country have signature experiences that they're very well known for. And so in South Africa, for very many years, first-time visitors itinerary would typically be Kruger National Park, down the garden route to the Cape Winelands, and they would fly out of Cape Town again. You'll see a range of tourism activities and facilities at our wineries, and we're equally happy to welcome you to come mountain biking on one of the trails as we are to welcome you for a vertical wine tasting. So there's really an offering there for everybody from the wine connoisseur to somebody who wants to have a relaxed day out or wants to socialize with their friends or get active on a mountain biking or a hiking trail and do that in the beautiful setting that is the Winelands. What we're seeing now is that we've introduced our travel agents and our tour operators who are engaging with our international visitors to more of our wine routes to a wider offering. And I think that that's really important because it allows them to better match the experience to their visitor. What does the visitor enjoy? 
What are the activities that they enjoy at home? How can we make the most of their experience? However, if they offer that same itinerary to the first time visitor, I'm still very happy because I know they're going to have an amazing experience in our country and they'll come back again. And that's why we have such a high repeater rate in so many of our international markets, the UK market, Netherlands, Germany, the USA, Namibia, and African market, we've got a 90% repeater rate. So once people have been, they come back again. And what we'll typically see when somebody has visited Salambash or Franschhoek on their first visit, the next time that they visit, we can encourage them to go and visit Bredekloof or the Swartland, or we can take them down to one of the coastal routes. And that's the power of them having a very good experience on one of our established routes the first time that they come. The first time that we see people, we will see them Constantia, Franschuk, Stellenbosch, because on a first-time visit to South Africa, they are typically on a tour operator itinerary, and those are the routes that are included for many reasons and all very good reasons. And once people get an introduction to our offering they get a little bit bolder and they want to learn more about South African wine and they'll venture out and they'll go out to Robertson or they'll go up to Namakwa West Coast, they'll go up to Friars Cove and they'll sit on a jetty in a restaurant that's run by the community having Perla Moon, having abalone during an abalone festival. And that's magical. Once people become a little bit more educated on South African wine, then they start to cherry pick and say, I really like Chen and I want to focus on a day of Chenin Blanc. And you get producers like Ken Forrester, Rivera's wines, they do a lot of work with Shannon. I think one of the more exciting areas at the moment are the Cup Classiques, where you've got Cup Classiques coming out of all of the regions. And you don't necessarily have to drive all the way to Robertson for Graham Beck and Boncourage and Silverthorne. You've got great producers in Stellenbosch, Valera, Simonsach. And you can show people, if they really like sparkling wines, you can show them really good Method Champenoise around Stellenbosch. And that's why I think the winelands in South Africa offer so much more. If you go further afield to the Himalanada, where we've, I think, got some very good Pinots, the Chardonnays from there are exquisite. They also have good Sauvignon Blanc in their more coastal style and really good Syrah, cooler climates, which is a completely different expression of the variety. So that's what's, for me, nice about the winelands. You've got so many options in one place. And the return visitors become far more explorative. Usually with the second-time visitors, they explore somewhere like the Himalanada Valley, Upper Himalanada and the Ridge, and get out to that sort of area. But saying that between Franschuk and Stellenbosch, you could possibly keep going for five or six visits and still have a pretty good number of wineries with good quality wine that you haven't visited yet. But it is nice to see the return visitors want to see the Swartland, for instance, and even explore as far afield and I say it's far, it's not that far, uh, somewhere like the Breedercliff, and to see what they have to offer. So we do see that with return visitors becoming a little bit more adventurous, for lack of a better term, and trying different areas. And the very nice thing, and I don't think people understand this as much before they visit South Africa, is that if I say somewhere like Robertson, Robertson's not quite a two-hour drive from Cape Town. Do you know it's not that far away? Stellenbosch is not even 45 minutes from the city center. Hermanus is just under two hours away. And once people realize that, then they understand that it doesn't take too long to explore if you're willing to take a drive, which is great for South African wine. I often tell people that all of the best wine in South Africa is produced within two and a half hours of Cape Town. And I don't think I'm wrong there. Yes, there are patches of interesting stuff being made further afield, 
But in general, you can taste the creme of South Africa within a two and a half hour drive of the city. Going further with the tourism, the hiking in the mountains, boat trips to see whales in Hermanus, for instance, there are lots of add-ons that you can do. And it's actually made us more of a family destination as well, where it's not just about wine. We often have families come and visit. We've got cheetah outreaches where cheetahs, which are endangered, are bred for educational purposes. We've got eagle encounters at Spear, for instance, where people can see rehabilitated birds that have been harmed either through flying to electrical pylons or poisoned and rehabilitated. And people get up close and personal and get an African feel and a nature feel for the country right in Cape Town. So it has become a popular place for not just the wine aficionados and seasoned travelers, but for families, because there are the things that keep kids interested. I can imagine it could be the worst thing in the world going on holiday with your children and they're just bored the entire time. There's something to keep them interested, even while mom and dad are busy tasting wine somewhere. Kids love the garden. They love to walk around in the garden. If you are a hotel guest, we do fishing trips. We take you to the farm dam where you can go do some fishing. You can do kayaking on the farm dam. There's bicycles to drive around on the whole property. So lots of things to do for a family as well. The Stellenbosch area has really identified family travel and multi-generational travel as an important sector to grow. So a lot of the farms or producers have got office for children and whether that's a play area outside, a lot of non-alcoholic children orientated tasting experiences from cookies and milk to milkshakes to fruit juice and whatever. So again, they're quite innovative with the offerings and, and making sure that they can attract and look after that segment because it's very important. I would say the majority of farms now offer something for children of various ages. Obviously, a lot of them are small. We find that teenagers generally don't travel with their parents as much as the little ones do, but there's something for everybody, and that's from uh, non-motorized scooters zooming down a mountain to segways at Spear or cycling around the vineyards on e-bikes or just playing areas, special tastings for children. And there's so many things to do for families. Outside of the wine directly, the Cape Peninsula is a place of scenic beauty. I don't think people really appreciate how beautiful it is until they arrive and they go up Table Mountain. It's a scenic place. In my experience in tourism, you get people who are interested in history and people who are interested in scenery. And I think the scenery almost wins in Cape Town over the, we're not going to go to Cape Town to visit the museums. We're going to go to Cape Town to enjoy the beaches at Camps Bay, see the peninsula, drink good wine in Constantia, see the penguins, things like that. Things that you can't see in other places in the world so easily. And that's why the Cape, I think, is one of the top destinations in the world. And to add on to that with a little bit of stretch, it's the only country in the world where you can, in the morning, be tasting wine in Constantia, and by late afternoon be in the bush in the Kruger, preparing to go and look at the big fight. There is nowhere else in the world. And in the previous evening, you could have eaten at one of the best restaurants we like to think in the world. And Test Kitchen, places like that are great, and especially for the foodies. There is nowhere else in the world where you can jam-pack such interesting things into a trip that's not traveling overnight flights, for instance. And that, I think, is another string in the bow for South African tourism and wine tourism in the Cape even. And again, from there, adding on to that, somewhere like the Seychelles, Mauritius, are just a short flight 
from Johannesburg. So we often see specifically guests from the United States having their honeymoons, doing the beach holiday, doing the Kruger Park for the bush experience and ending in the Cape for some good food and wine, which I think all three of those go together and, and make South Africa, not just the winemans, a really attractive destination. You could hardly speak about the Western Cape without speaking about the Cape Floral Kingdom, just the diversity that we have here of flora and fauna and fainbos, which is endemic to the Western Cape. There are a couple of our wineries like Pardon Kloof out in the Overberg, Oak Valley also out in the Overberg where they actually farm with flowers as well. You can go and see proteas and a number of indigenous flowers to the Western Cape. So that's quite beautiful. A number of the hiking trails will take you through those Fainbos areas. And some of our wineries have even done a Fainbos and wine pairing. So they'll have Fainbos cupcakes paired with wine. There's a purely sensory experience where you smell the different types of Fainbos and you do your wine pairing with it. So they've really set out to take what is quite a unique characteristic of the winelands and this province and incorporate that into their wine tourism experience. In the Eastern Cape, the focus is predominantly on grape growing and wine production at this stage. In KwaZulu-Natal, we've got three wine cellars where people can enjoy what they would describe as a traditional Western Cape style wine tasting. So they're located on the Midlands Meander, which is an amazing tourist route. There's so much to do, lots of crafts. The scenery is beautiful. It's vastly different from the experience that you'll have in terms of the landscape and the setting in the Western Cape. And again, vastly different from the experience that you'll have in the Northern Cape. And then the last winery on that route is Cathedral Peak, and they're located at the base of the Jarkensburg Mountains. Again, it's quite a fantastic offering with very dramatic scenery. There's nothing reserved about it. And I really enjoyed my visit to all three of those wineries. And then in the Northern Cape, a lot of our activity is centered around the Orange River. You've got the Orange River Wine Route and what we call the Kuokerboom Food and Wine Route, which again draws visitors into that very quintessentially Northern Cape food paired with wine, delicacies that you get in the Northern Cape that you won't get to taste in the Western Cape when you visit our wineries. And we've got five tasting rooms or cellar doors up in the Northern Cape at this stage. As we've seen, there's a lot to do in South Africa, and tourism ties together so many parts of the country, connecting wineries with restaurants, hotels, and many other small businesses, all working together in the spirit of Ubuntu, a term and a philosophy often translated as I am because you are. To make money out of wine is not that easy. And so what's happened, especially in the Stellenbosch district, is that we lobbied with local government where they relaxed those rules a little bit. So you still have to have more than 50% of your agricultural zoned area for agricultural purposes. But there is an allowance for a function venue for a hotel or hiking trails or whatever. There's so many things going on, wedding venues. It's just crazy, restaurants. So there is an allowance for that within the agricultural zoning scheme in order for the sector to become more sustainable and profitable. Agriculture, I think in South Africa in general, I keep on saying this every single day, 
is under threat. So we've got to make sure that there's an enabling environment. Having restaurants and hotels and various other activities on the farm allows for more people to visit. They can enjoy a broader spectrum of things, stay longer, do more. And then hopefully it's so nice that they can come back and do it again or explore the next door property. We've been working really hard to make sure that tourism and wine is aligned in Stellenbosch and that we create an enabling environment for farms in order to grow sustainably or to survive with sound economic stability. By being able to diversify your operations at the property, it means that seasonality is addressed. A lot of the vineyard workers are only there on a seasonal basis when they tend the vineyards. But by offering multiple businesses or sub-businesses on the farm, that means that people can be upskilled to work in a restaurant or work in a hotel or do tours or whatever. So that is really a very important driver for job creation and supporting the communities around our region. I think for Stellenbosch, as I've said before, is that in order for us to grow wine tourism, we had to make sure that the mandated tourism is strongly aligned with wine. So in 2018, Stellenbosch Wine Roots actually stepped forward and founded Visit Stellenbosch, which is our tourism office or tourism body. So now when we do something with wine, like when there's a wine festival, the restaurants in town and the accommodation in town Will also benefit from these actions and equally when there's a big cycling event in and around Stellenbosch we've got to make sure that there are also options or opportunities for wine farms to participate in the action so that we can build a sustainable and a circular economy in Stellenbosch to drive not only the wine sector but the businesses must also thrive, accommodation must thrive restaurants must thrive so that we can all move forward together we can all speak from the same page and that's something that was really noticeable in the last few years how we managed to get together and move forward we've had some amazing initiatives to get us through the pandemic but now we are so fired up that we're moving forward with mega events to make sure that we look at the economy of Stellenbosch that we keep on driving the quieter times that there's stuff happening to attract people to Stellenbosch. And so not only the wine farms, which obviously we want them to have business right through the year, but also to make sure that the economy of Stellenbosch is supported through what we are doing as a collective. In 2020, we did a research study looking at the economic value of wine tourism in South Africa. And we found that in the year of 2019, which was the last year before COVID, it contributed 7.2 billion rand to the South African economy. And it employed between 10,000 and 12,000 people directly at Farmgate. Throughout the broader economy, it supported 36,000 job opportunities. So wine tourism really is a very valuable sector of especially the Western Cape economy, which is where the majority of our wineries are located. I'd like to just offer some reassurance that post-COVID, everything is alive and kicking and happy because I think people may have fears one of the benefits of us having such a strong local support is we had a challenging time but we're still seeing so many developments. There's a number of new wine bars that opened up in Stellenbosch. There are new restaurants opening up in Franschhoek. Cape Town is absolutely buzzing 
with new cocktail bars, tapas bars, gin bars, new restaurants. So I really want to give people the reassurance that yes, while we've had a challenging two years, there's also been some amazing new developments taking place in our destinations that even if you've visited us before, we've got something new to offer. I hope you enjoyed this look at South African wine tourism. If it inspired you to take a trip, you'll find links to various resources at our website, wosa.us. The website that Marissa mentioned is a great resource as well. That's visitwinelands.co.za. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, or better yet, go to the platform where you found it and leave a review. That will help more people discover it and discover South African wines. Next time, we'll dive back into looking at different regions of the winelands. We're going to focus in on the vineyards that surround the Simmonsberg, a beautiful mountain that marks the border between Stellenbosch and Par. We'll explore the different wineries and terroirs of the area and see what they have in common and how they differ. I hope you'll join us. Music